Just two words. I hope that's okay. These two. Stand firm. Seems a little odd to preach a sermon around two words, stand firm while seated, so let me try this differently. Stand firm. There's a lot going on, so take a deep breath, collect yourself, and say it with me. Stand firm. It has been a year, and it's hardly halfway. And yet, so full of more challenges and pressures and complications and concerns and worries than any of us would ever choose for ourselves. The year was launched on the brink of war with Iran. One of my daughters said to me, Daddy, is this World War III? That gave way to an impeachment which turned into a helicopter crash in the foggy nests of the California mountains taking one of our athletic stars and his daughter and their friends while there was rumors of a virus somewhere in the world that happened to land somewhere in Seattle. And we all kind of figured it would stay there, but it swept our country as it swept the globe and the stock market began to sink and unemployment began to rise like it was the Great Depression. Mental, emotional, spiritual health began to plummet, creating an arena in which a deep sadness and a real anger began to erupt on the national scene when George Floyd was killed. Our public discourse devolved into playground antics. It has been quite a year. Emotional health is struggling. Mental health is weakening. Spiritual health is slipping. It's been quite a year. So take a deep breath with me. And let's say it together. Stand firm. I'm borrowing from the Apostle Paul who said the same thing to a church in a fairly significant town called Philippi, this band of Christian believers trying to figure out how to live Christianly in a crazy world. Listen to more of the context. I want to know Christ, Paul writes, and the power of his resurrection and the sharing in his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. My beloved, I do not consider that I've already obtained this, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature then be of the same mind. And if we disagree on anything, this too the Lord will reveal to us. Only hold fast to what you have attained. My brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. 
and observe those who live their lives according to the example you have in us. For many are enemies of the cross of Christ. I've told you of them often, even now I tell you with tears, their end is their destruction. Their God is the belly, their glory is in their shame, they set their minds on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. It is from there that we expect a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the same power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Philippians 3, 10 through chapter 4, verse 1. You're welcome to find it in a Bible with you or the smartphone on you. Two words. Stand firm. When the world is swirling and the pressure is mounting and the challenges are rising, stand firm in the Lord in this way. I've been teaching a class at Western Seminary uh, over the last several weeks, online only. It's a leadership class. The inertia of the class is pushing us towards the Global Leadership Summit, which happens the first week in August. International speakers and authors and leaders sharing their reflections on leadership to prepare us for the summit. We've been reading some of the books that the speakers uh, have written. Uh, One of them has to do with leading other people. Uh, The book is divided into three sections. Uh, The first five minutes, basically uh, first impressions, the first five hours, and the first five days. Uh, In the section on the first five minutes, uh, basically the first impression, the author offers three very simple, very practical and pragmatic ways to have a good first impression. Uh, The first one has to do with eye contact. That made a ton of sense to me. The second, this was more interesting, had to do with how you use your hands. Apparently, the death knell is to put your hands in your pocket, so if I do, catch me. And the third is how you stand. She calls it the launch position. Feet shoulder width apart, shoulders back, chin up. Apparently, leadership gurus think how you stand matters. Paul has something else in mind, but suggests the same thing. Stand firm. And he might know a thing or two about the world spiraling in chaos, whereas we're worried about a global pandemic which might lower the life expectancy by a few months. The life expectancy in first century Roman Empire was 25 years old. And if you remove infant mortality, it jumps to 50. Even so, he knew a thing or two about illness and said anyway, and the threat that it poses, and he said anyway, stand firm in the Lord in this way. We're we're trying to figure out how to live Christianly, how to navigate our lives of faith in this political climate. In the first century, it was illegal to announce the lordship of Christ and required to say Caesar is Lord, and yet the apostle Paul says stand firm in the Lord in this way. We're trying to figure out how to make our way in this world, in this cultural moment with our Christian instincts still intact. They would be put in prison for following Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says, stand firm in the Lord in this way. 
I'm not trying to minimize the current reality by contrasting it to the first century. I am, though, suggesting maybe the Apostle Paul knows a thing or two about living a Christian life when the pressures are real, the challenges are present, and the world is swirling. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, he says. When I was in high school and college, I was trying to play basketball, and my coaches had us do a drill with some regularity. They had us stand with our feet shoulder-width apart, our legs bent, and you had to stand on the balls of your feet, shoulders back, head up, and they would walk around and push us around to try to keep us in balance. It's not just a leadership suggestion or an athlete's fundamental. It's a Christian conviction. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. So let me offer a few suggestions on standing firm. Keep centered, keep focused, keep together, keep hope. And then we'll come to the table together. To stand firm is to keep centered. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, this is beginning at verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the center. Christ Jesus has made you his own. You belong to Christ. I feel like I say this over and over and over again, and in my defense, I'm only repeating it because the Bible seems to repeat it over and over and over again. The prophecy of Isaiah, I have called you by name. You are mine. The apostle Paul in this, in this case, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Or the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or the great confession of the Reformed tradition begins this way, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, and life and a death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep centered. You belong to Christ. I like these words by Brennan Manning in a book titled Abba's Child. Brennan Manning struggled with alcoholism his entire life offers these words, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. You are not your degree. You are not your job. You are not your family. You are not your past. You are not the social demographic politicians try to keep you in or the race or gender the census made you answer. Those things may say something about you, but what is most true of you, you belong to Christ. Christ Jesus has made you his own. Stand firm, keep centered. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Keep focused. The Apostle Paul goes on, Verse 13, beloved, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Keep focused on what lies ahead. Forget what lies behind. And if you're like me, thinking about what lies behind, it's the past you can't change, the the action you can't undo, the word you can't unsay. Forget what lies, you learn from the past, but forget what lies behind. But the Apostle Paul actually doesn't have miscues in mind. He actually has accomplishments in mind, the ones that were sort of handed to you by birth and the ones you achieved in life. He's just come off this long list of uh, resume fillers. And he says, forget about it. 
Keep focused on what lies ahead. And what lies ahead is resurrection. What lies ahead is restoration. What lies ahead is redemption, the renewal of all things. That's what lies ahead. Let's not reduce our lives to the modern American narrative, leaving us polarized, divided, and angry. Keep focused on what lies ahead. C.S. Lewis offers these words. It seems our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with sex and drug and ambition while infinite joy is offered us. We're like children who go on making mud pies in the slums because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of the holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Stand firm. Keep focused. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Keep centered, keep focused, keep together. The Apostle Paul goes on. Verse 15, let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. I suppose if you want to be immature, you can go on arguing, but let those of us who are mature be of the same mind. And this is not the only place in the New Testament where the invitation on our lives is to stay together, keep together. The unity of the church matters. Earlier in the book of Philippians, be of the same mind, having the same love. Reflective of Jesus' prayer the night they led him to the cross, Father, may they be one as we are one, I in you and them in us. Keep Together, I'm going to push on you a little bit pastorally. We are shaped, formed, influenced, cultivated subtly and subconsciously to remain polarized. That's the narrative, certainly in our country and frankly around the world, to polarize and divide. And here's how we do it. First, we label so as to categorize, which is to dehumanize and objectify, which allows me then to treat someone as an agenda and a label rather than a human being made in the image of God with a story to tell. So that we we, we don't talk to other people, we fight agendas. We discuss labels. We argue about categories. If there has ever been a time, it's now, and can it be here where we would pursue the unity of the church? Not just a happy kumbaya at a bonfire on Friday night, but for the sake of mission in the world, the witness to the watching world of the heart of God. I love Leslie Newbegin. You've heard me quote him more than you'd like, probably in a great book, lesser known but phenomenal book titled The Household of God. Listen to this. Insofar as the church is disunited, her life is a direct and public contradiction of the gospel. We cannot be ambassadors, beseeching all people to be reconciled to God, except we ourselves be willing to be reconciled to one another in him. Stand firm. Keep together. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Keep centered. Keep focused. Keep together. Keep hope. 
It's the hashtag floating around the Hope College community for the last several months. Keep hope. These stunning words from the Apostle Paul. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I've told you often of them, and now I tell you with tears. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the point. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory. Keep hope is to follow the way of Jesus who went to the cross, is to go the way of Jesus who went to the grave, who transformed the cursed cross and the stone tomb into resurrection and redemption. We can go the way of humility and he transforms it into restoration. We can go the way of sacrifice, and he makes it into beauty. We can go the way of love and service, and he offers it back to the world as the good news the world needs. We go the way of the cross and service and love because we believe in and love the one who transforms humiliation and turns it into glory. So when someone makes the comment that triggers and your instincts are to fight and to defend, wonder with me, how would the cross bear on your response? What would the action of the cross suggest you do? I like these words from St. John of Damascus, 8th century church father. Listen to this. By nothing else except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ has death been brought low. The sin of our first parent destroyed, hell plundered, resurrection bestowed. The power given us to despise the things of this world, even death itself, the road back to the former blessedness made smooth, the gates of paradise opened, our nature seated at the right hand of God, and we made children and heirs of God. By the cross, all these things have been set aright. It is a seal that the destroyer may not strike us, a raising up of those who lie fallen, a support for those who stand, a staff for the infirm, a crook for the shepherded, a guide for the wandering, a perfecting of the advanced, salvation for soul and body, a deflector of all evils, a cause of all goods, a destruction of sin, a plant of resurrection, and a tree of eternal life. He will transform the body of our humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of his glory. Keep hope. So here's what, I, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'd like to do. We're, we're going to come to the table. If you choose to participate with us in this virtual way, or even if not, I want to invite you to consider an area of your life, an action ahead of you this week, and ask yourself the question, what does the cross of Christ have to do with this area or that action? What would the action of the cross suggest about my life as I move forward. Listen now. He will transform the body of our humiliation and conform it to the body of his glory. 
You can go the way of sacrifice. You can go the way of service. You can go the way of love. You can go the way of humility. You can go the way of vulnerability and transparency because God entered into all of those things in order to redeem them and offer them back as good news for the world. Keep hope. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.